We are back, Shannon, for another episode. We're talking Mariners, talking baseball. We, uh, we're coming up on an artificial deadline here. As we stand here, we're less than 10 days away from December 1st when there could be a potential lockout. And there's, there's as I was telling you earlier, there's a little bit of trickle going on in the stream. It's Are the floodgates about to open and seeing some major moves or some real names get moved uh, in terms of signing, te- signing with teams or uh, making trades coming up here in the next few days? I think we should start there. Uh, what are we seeing right now in the baseball landscape? You are diving right in, aren't so, you? I mean, I, you are chomping at the bit. There's just no you just, reason you to wait anymore. You couldn't handle it that we, Gary Hill did one of these podcasts, <laughs> can you? It's I, okay, Howdy. We need more con- it's I, okay. I need more content. I need to get out there. I need to be in front of people. more. <laughs> That's great. Gary was awesome last week. I listened to that whole thing. It was awesome. A great conversation. Lots of great perspective on that, too. So I really appreciated that. And and really, you know, we've been talking about this for a month now, that there's a deadline pressing up, and... The Mariners have been very aggressive in talking about how they think they're going to get something done. They're moving quickly on free agency and that the market is moving. What are you hearing and, and what do you think we could see here in the next week or so? Well, can I say, first of all, I don't like the reason for this deadline, but I, I like the idea that there is a deadline. These deadlines can be set at any point. All it takes is an agent going out there and saying, my client wants this done in two weeks. Why doesn't this happen a little bit more often? You know, we see it kind of at the end of uh, an off season quite a bit, but to see it early on, I, I, I'm not sure why we don't see that more. And if you stretch that out, you know, the benefit, especially if you know that you have players that would just assume get this thing over with. And we're hearing that with a number of players. Uh, you're, you're hearing, you know, kind of the rumors, Oh, you know, two of the biggest shortstop targets out there might want to get this done before a lockout. And uh, I heard today, Stephen Matz wants to get it done before Thanksgiving. I mean, you're dealing with human beings right now, and I think that each player sits down and has an idea of where they would like to be. And if they can get there now rather than have to go through all of this, why not get there now than go through all of this? And so uh, to see the movement that we have seen so far, I think it was surprising at first, but then uh, I think just a little reassuring in that it doesn't all have to happen in two weeks in February, and that's a good thing. Now, that said, I've also seen a lot of panic from the Twitter sphere. Mariner's Twitter? Oh, yes. Panic in Mariner's Twitter? All the free agents are gone. <laughs> it's not glass empty. It's The glass is empty. It's all gone. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned this on, on the week that was podcast. Mariner's fans, two words they hate more than anything is, it's early. Be it in a season be it in a rebuilding process, be it in an off season, it's early. Uh, and there's, you know, if any fan base is entitled to be impatient, I think it's the Mariners. Agreed. I think so. It's understandable. But uh, when Jerry DePoto came on it, it, last week on the Mike Salk show and said, we are going to make three, possibly four visits between now and Thanksgiving. And people are just freaking out. It's all they're going to talk to is three or four players. No. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. You've heard That's not the perspective I take with that. Tell me more about what you take out of that comment. Well, that was a perspective lots to take. Yeah, I, I got a lot of, of tweets and emails and everything else. Well, I really think they should be looking at me serious about, no, no, no. He was talking about what they were going to do between then and Thanksgiving. And also, you know, just the panic that all the free agents are gone. Let's take a quick look at Justin Verlander and Noah Syndergaard. Those were two one-year deals. Those are a lot easier to get done 
than a $200 million or $150 million extended years. You don't just throw that kind of thing out there. And if you're the player, you don't just take it. You've got questions about where you're going to be for the next five, six, seven, eight years. Those things take time. So when I say it's early, it's early in the process for that kind of free agent. And let's be honest, that's what everybody's concerned about right now. Getting that big name, getting the person in the door and signed on a piece of paper that says what the, what we've been told as fans, what we've been told is going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. I have a lot of faith They've that it is going to. Not been told it's going to happen. They've not been that told that they are December trying 1st. for that. There is no guarantee whatsoever that the Mariners are going to land any of these big-name free agents. There's, There's no guarantees. No. There's no guarantees, but... I mean, they're queued up. They've teed themselves up pretty well. They are in good position to do so, but the players got to want to sign the deal. Absolutely. And there are other deals that are out there, too. As a GM, you have to be careful with what you say at all points in time, right? You don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're letting people down. And Jerry Depoto's been good about that throughout the course of his career. Until around the trade deadline this year, I would say, the way that he was talking about the Mariners and their plans for the future started to shift in a way that it seemed to me pretty clearly, and has carried in the offseason, that they they believe that the time is now to add major players for this team. Not window dressing, not finishing touches, cornerstone pieces. And they've been more open to talking about that than they ever have been since Jerry Depoto's been here. So to me... They've been positioning themselves. They believe that they need it. They believe that that's what they're going to do. So that, to me, that that hypes up the offseason in a way that hasn't been true since Jerry's been here. It's, I think it's necessary. They're going to have to make that move, at least one, maybe more. I think that there's another reason why he puts it out there like he has, and that's to attract these players. Because, you know, you, I, I think that, the Mariners did do themselves some favors as far as their attractiveness to free agents and what they did on the field this year. Is that enough? No. Do you have to do more because you're up in this northwest corner? Yes. And some of their recent history of officials saying things and the industry perspective on how the Mariners have handled things in the past handful of years? Yeah, there's an uphill battle there. And that has impact. I was reading, uh, or I saw an interview with Noah Syndergaard the other day, and he said, I hate the situation that the Mets were in. I just didn't know. And he wanted some sort of certainty. And this is somebody who was brought up in that organization. So those things are important. Now, I think, you know, the Mather comments you should be able to put behind. He's gone. He's been gone for a year. Uh, the things that have happened since, uh, I think that you have to keep working at that. But I think that something that can help get them beyond that is something that Jerry Depoto has talked about, and that is players recruiting other players. And I talked to a couple of players about that during the season, and they're willing to do that. Ultimately, you know, no matter how mad they might be about any situation, you still got to go to work every day with these people. You just assume fighting for something. And those players, no one's going to criticize them for their lack of willingness to win. Those guys proved, at least especially last year, they're ready to win and they want to win. And they've all been talking about Mitch Haniger primarily. Listen to him on the Chris Rose podcast the other day. He wants more big-name players. He wants spending. He's actively, this is what I want to see. 
And if that's where your best player is at, that's a great thing. Yeah, he's going to be on the train to try and get people in. He's not sitting on his hands waiting for things to happen. He's going to be ready to help this team get new players and get better players in here because he wants to win, and they know they need more in order to win. Yeah, and the guys that they've got out going and talking to guys, I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Why wouldn't you want to want to play with Mitch? Why wouldn't you want to come play with J.P. Crawford? Why wouldn't you want to come play with Ty France? These are all, you know, just absolutely, you know, guys that you go to battle for. They saw how they, as individuals, have fought through some things and have grown and have turned into what they have turned into. And then, uh, you know, there's just a feeling that things are happening here. And then I think that also. You know, there are some players that are no longer with the team that actually can help in that regard. Uh, Nelson Cruz, I talked about it um, right before the Mariners. uh, There was a huge game that the Rays needed to win. And Nelson was texting all sorts of people in the organization, we're going to do everything we can to help you out on this one. You know, there's still a soft spot there for Nelson. I was talking to, I don't think I've told this story, and I love it, um, Interviewed Ty France towards the end of the year, and we're in the dugout, and uh, I noticed that he'd been talking to Shohei Otani quite a bit when he was over at first base, and I asked about those conversations. Why wouldn't he talk to him? He wanted to know how many times he had walked all year, and that was like one of the conversations that he was having. I said, what you need to be doing is, I mean, it looked like you guys were having a great conversation. He was having a good time. You need to be kind of selling him on the idea of coming here in a couple of years. How about that? Wouldn't that be something? And Ty said, yeah, I, I thought that they had locked him up to a long-term deal. I'm like, nope. That's he's going to be a free agent in two years. And that's not a they thing. That's a he thing. There's no way in the world the Angels are sitting on their hands. Like, I don't know if Shohei Otani's worth it. <laughs> that's a Shohei Otani thing. Right. And there were some things that were going on at the time. And we'll see. I think this year will be a prove-it year for the Angels. And they're you know, one of the reasons why you're seeing the moves that you're seeing. A, you can't not win when you've got Mike Trout. And B, they got to show the other guy that they're serious. I think those are huge motivators right there. But, um, you know, France, France took note. <laughs> so, you know, these, these are good ambassadors to have over on first base and having those conversations. And even some, as I mentioned, that are no longer with the organization. Kind of interested in what Taiwan Walker's been talking to Marcus Stroman about. I'm real curious about Marcus Stroman. And I'm, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much because I have a little bit of concern about his ceiling moving forward compared to how much money you'd have to pay to get Marcus Stroman if he's going to make $24 million a year on a four-year deal and pitch the same line as Marco Gonzalez. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to have it, but if that's going to prevent you from getting like a younger cornerstone guy, that would be something that I'd be considered. But all the same, everything else about Marcus Stroman I love. A gamer, he competes every single day. He has a huge chip on his shoulder he wears all the time. He absolutely hates the Yankees, which is (laughs) I'm so much further in on Marcus Stroman than I ever was just because of that. He takes incredible care of his body, and he cares about his routine. He's constantly studying how to make himself healthier and more durable and last longer through his career. His velocity is a state. I mean, there's just there's so many things to like about him. He's pitched in the AL for his entire career until basically being with the Mets. Yeah, there's something there. Absolutely. I think he'd been an absolutely fantastic, fantastic fit. And I'm not worrying about the dollars too much right now, especially that when you consider that uh, he he's not going to be – the hope is he's not going to be the guy for long. The hope is a couple of years from now, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Emerson Hancock, those are going to be the guys. 
you need those anchors at that point. And he is somebody also, you talk about Marco, but you saw him go through such a struggle this year. You know, he could use some help in that regard with these players and leading these these players. And uh, I think Stroman is absolutely uh, fills that bill. Another fun story, I heard this the other day. We got to know uh, Chris Flexen a little bit this year, and it was like, you know, just it was like an advent calendar of sorts. Open up this door. <laughs> He's this. He's that. So little wreath. Hey, chocolate. You know, all of that. Just good stuff after good stuff for Chris Flexen. He tried. He, he did everything he could, from what I understand, to get back to see his old KBO team in the postseason. Cool. Yeah, for COVID reasons, could not fly, but was, like, looking into it and trying to figure out if that was something that he could do, which is just, you know, team guy, even with his former team, just every time you hear something about him, something new about him, it's just something that you absolutely love. But, no, uh, Stroman is uh, just a fantastic fit. Uh, he and Taiwan Walker are close. Ty had good, you know, hopefully it doesn't hurt too much of that. You know, it would be a lot better if we were talking about Taiwan Walker on this team right now. Yeah, I don't recruiting. know if that's a plus or a minus just based on the way that that last situation went out. I would guess that if it was a two-year deal between the Mets and the Mariners, he probably would have chosen the Mariners. I don't think that was the case that he ended up having to choose between. He would have, but I wonder if he understands why, that that was not well, something that Jerry was able to do, that that, again, was Mather above holding the purse strings. Yeah, So, and, and that's perception's a hard thing to change, Shannon. So I'm, I'm, I have concerns about how people are perceiving the organization as a whole, and you can say from us being close to it that we can pin it on one guy, but... It's going to be hard to change perception, and I think that somewhat leads towards can the Mariners be early aggressive people here in free agency and trades in the next few days? We're hearing a lot of uh, a lot of noise about Marcus Semien, and it seems as though there are more teams that are added to the interest list for Marcus Semien and less teams that are being added to the interest list of the major shortstops, Carlos Correa uh, and Corey Seager. Less the number of teams that could be interested, quote unquote, in them seems to be shrinking. While Semyon's market now has nine, ten people who are, quote unquote, seriously considering him. What do you make of all that? Well, I make that most folks don't want to pay three hundred million dollars for a shortstop. When you look at what shortstops have gone for in the last couple of years, it's not outrageous that Carlos Correa is looking for a three hundred plus million dollar contract, and it's not outrageous that Corey Seager is doing the same. Although I, you know, personally, with the injury history that he has had, I would, and the fact that you are probably going to have to move him to third base, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. If he can stay healthy and be Corey Seager on the field, that would be fantastic. But I think that that is is the biggest factor right there. And all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at shorter term deals anyway because of age with Simeon, with Story. Um, I think along those lines, it's not surprising. You don't hear much about Baez. No, nothing right now. I haven't heard any rumors about Javi Baez in quite some time. And the same for Chris Bryant. I haven't heard any rumors about Chris Bryant in two weeks. I was doing a quick Google search on the Internet. There's not a credited article on his pursuit of free agency that's been published in two weeks. It's quiet market there, too. Which, you know, could be strategy. It, it could be let's get these guys out of the way to start with. I like and that strategy then you angle. you see that more? Let's talk a little bit about that strategy angle because Scott Boris has got several clients on the free agent market this year. He has Chris Bryant. He has Marcus Semyon. He has um, uh, Corey Seager. I can't remember if he has one more of the major position players. That's a lot to manage and juggle. Is there some sense to the idea that he could be trying to get at least one of those out of the way so that he has some time and gives the other guys 
a, a, a real time that this is your market and nobody else is being discussed to my clients. This is your time. Could Marcus Semien be the first one for some of that reason? I don't think for that reason. I think it would be the reason that he wants this to be done and over with, that he, as we talked about earlier, could, you know, would buy into setting that kind of false deadline and in, in, in that getting that out of the way. If he truly is, I want to be closer to home, I want to be on the West Coast, and we don't know that for sure. We know he's from <laughs> born and raised, you know, in the Bay Area and that he's from the West Coast, uh, and that could be a preference, um, but we don't know. You know, there's nothing to say that he doesn't want the biggest contract that he can possibly get, in which case it would probably be better to sit and wait. So it'll be interesting to see if he is still unsigned by December 1st while he's in that mix. So I I don't think, you know, Scott Boris, he can have his strategy. I'm sure he's articulated it to all of his clients. But that doesn't mean that they have to go along with that. And and it's... He is first and foremost responsible to the clients as individuals. So it's tough to know how much he is trying to play one off of the other, kind of ethically for that matter. So uh, we'll see what happens. But what kind of becomes interesting about this is are we going to see those mega deals? And there was the report, I think it was from Joel Sherman this week, that the Yankees really aren't showing that much interest in the shortstop market. Now we've heard Simeon's name, but you know, Carlos Correa Yankee? Haven't really heard too much of that. Yeah. Corey I, Seager a Yankee? We haven't heard much of that either. Since the off season started, through most of the season, that was the prevailing thought. I personally am not buying any of the Yankees rumors about not being interested. I think this is their power play. We're the New York Yankees. We decide what we want to do. We're not going to be leveraged to do anything. Right. And, and they sit the back time, and they wait at the end and then, and then you they know, come in with a three hundred million dollar offer and they move some of their other money pieces that they have to move. They get gritted Gary Sanchez and they trim some fat in some other places of the roster, and then they have Corey Seager, and they move him to third base in two years when they're major prospects. I'm not buying any of this Yankees. <laughs> ah, no, 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 no. This, to me, is posturing 100%. Which brings up, and I was thinking about this the other day, is that we discussed a couple of podcasts ago, it's not just the Mariners and the Yankees and the Dodgers. We know the Mariners have money to spend. There are a lot of teams that have money to spend. Yeah, and you know what's interesting, and I've been troubled by this recently, and it leads me to more of a CBA thought than anything else, is that I expected there to be a couple of teams out there who would make one purchase, and it'd be a shortstop. I expected the Tigers and the Rangers to go out and be a major player to sign a big shortstop. That's what I expected. I didn't expect some of these teams to come out and say, we're going to be buyers in the market. We're going to add a shortstop. We're going to meet on every shortstop and every starting pitcher and every outfielder. and every. I did not expect the Rangers to do that. I didn't expect the, the Giants to say, we're going to go hard, hard in free agency and get multiple guys. I, I didn't expect the, uh, I mean, I guess I expected the Dodgers. There's just a lot of teams that I didn't expect would be full-on buyers. I thought they'd be selective buyers. I'm curious how that's going to impact the Mariners. Do they see this coming? Does this change anything for them? I think they, I, I'm sure they've seen some of it coming. And go ahead and throw in the Astros because they're not going to be paying Correa, so they've got dollars to spend as well. I don't, and, and so the way that I look at it is how do you break down? You've got teams that are going to lose their minds and make just some ridiculous purchases. And I think that's what the Yankees are saying they're not going to do, at least not initially. I don't think it would surprise anybody around baseball 
if it came out that Carlos Correa has just signed a $325 million deal with the Detroit Tigers. No surprises. Because the Detroit Tigers are a team that will go out, and we know we have to go above and beyond. They've historically done it before and kind of lose their mind on one player. We're not going to be surprised if the, if the Rangers end up signing Corey Seager to an eight-year, $300 million deal either. No, and from everything I've heard, he is their top priority. They came out this week, oh, they're in on Simeon too. Corey Seager is their top priority from what I have heard, which is great. That's fine. Maybe we see Kyle down there, and he'll stop hitting home runs against them. <laughs> but the Rangers are a team that are going to do that, too. And I, I think they didn't surprise me as much. I know they surprised some, but when you move into a new building, you see payrolls go up. And uh, they were not able to do that because it, it COVID hit right when they're moving into the new building. And then once they were allowed to have fans in, they've been selling that place. They've They've had good, healthy crowds there so they're going to spend money that doesn't surprise i'm going to interrupt you with my mariners version of that the mariners are going to host the all-star game in two years you think they want to roll out a losing team during that season doesn't have anything to do with it they have a rebuild plan mm, that they have to deliver they got a rebuild plan but they can't afford to be they can't afford to be without a chair when the music stops Mm, i I don't think that i I think that they can't afford to have an offseason where they bring back Tyler Anderson, trade for Kevin Kiermeyer, and then flip a couple prospects for a couple guys who are close to major league ready prospects. They can't do that. They got the they got the All Star game coming in two years. They're gonna roll in an All Star game when Mitch Haniger leaves the team and they have nobody left but yeah, just hoping that Jared oh yeah, Kelnick comes they, through. Well, if it wasn't for the All Star game, we'd be looking at rebuild number four, five, if it wasn't and come for on, All Star game. No. there's impetus that no. they, they can't miss on this free agent class. No. They can't miss on this off season. No, they can't you anyway. About, you want to talk about teams that can't get that that may stretch themselves? <laughs> they gonna the do Mariners take it abs- away. Hey, if you don't have a team, we're gonna take away your All Star <laughs> game. The Mariners are absolutely Absolutely, in the category of teams that could be desperate enough to stretch no. themselves this offseason. No. Absolutely they are. I don't think they want to do it. Because of the All-Star game. I think it's... it's when you're talking about things like all-star games and hosting things, the level of pride that comes into play for people way above baseball operations enters in the conversation where it doesn't on a normal basis. The Mariners are going to be putting themselves on baseball's national stage and not doing everything they can to put themselves in the actual conversation for baseball instead of just that game. They can't afford to miss on off-seasons like this. So I think that, yeah, they're going to feel a lot of pressure if they don't make some moves and get some major names in here. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's no (laughs) different. If they didn't have the All-Star game, it is no different. If they don't have the All-Star game. No, 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 there's no more talking. You just said the same (laughs) thing three times, and I I could just be quiet and you'll stop. (laughs) Or I can just... All right. All right, we'll approach this again in 16 months. That's fine. No, (laughs) because it won't matter then. Hey, here they are at the All-Star break, and they're up 10 games in the division, all because they were given the All-Star game, and they had to spend. All right, all right. No. Do you you expect the Mariners to sign any player for a contract longer than six years this offseason? No. Okay. If they do, why will that be? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip this in another direction. What I think we w- I I think that should I think the desperation not because of the All Star game to perform this year and to get something done and to take that next step step and to have a successful off season will not come in the form of going ridiculously over. I'm not saying going over. I'm saying ridiculously over. 
I think it would come in the form instead of making a trade that they don't really want to make. Now, that's really interesting because that, to me, is violating more of their principles than going extra years to me. So what what do you think that looks like? What kind of a player or what kind of a package would we be talking about in terms of, wow, I didn't think they'd stretch that far in terms of giving up that kind of talent? I think it would be because they get shut out on the free agent market. And yeah, and that's and this is where my struggle is with what's happening now. Are they willing to markedly overpay in free agency in either years or dollars, markedly, not marginally, in order to get those deals done? Or are they going to stick so rigidly to those principles? No, there's going to be in between here. You've got markedly on one hand and rigidly on the other. There's got to be an in between. I hope that works. I hope it does. I've got real, real concerns that they've got an uphill battle that, unless they're willing to realize. Well, no, but you also have to realize that there is a a decent chance that Carlos Correa is not coming here, okay? I'm not wasting any time on Carlos Correa. He is not coming here. Totally. Corey Seager is not coming here. So when you're talking about the above and beyond, the remaining players that are in that group are not the ones who are going to be the absolutely stratospheric Francisco Lindor-type deals. If you are looking, Trevor Story, would I go more than six years? No. Baez is younger. I don't think he personally is a fit, perhaps. Marcus Simeon? He is right on the edge. So is is that how ridiculous would year seven be there? But again, it's not 11 years for Carlos Correa or Corey Seager. I'm tracking right there with you. Absolutely. Now, so you've taken those out. You might not really like Baez very much. Story might really want to play in that brand new ballpark that is literally in his backyard in Texas. <laughs> What's it going to take to get him, and is it worth it at that point? Probably not. I mean, sometimes the best moves you make are the moves you don't make. So, all eggs in the Simeon basket right now? How smart do you have to get with that? Right. And then if you miss out on that, what do you do? Again, we have not heard a lot about Chris Bryant. If Chris Bryant's got a five-year deal on the table from somebody at $29, $30 million, do the Mariners go six and thirty-one, six and thirty-two? That's when it gets kind of painful because he might be on the starting. It's kind of at that apex right now. And this is where my real concern about how they're going to approach this offseason. And that's goes. maybe when you have to start making those trades. So let's talk about those trades then, because I think it's really interesting. Jerry Depoto. Wait, wait, spoken- wait! Just one other thing, real quick. The desperate teams, the ones that I think are going to go above and beyond. Texas, we've already seen it. Detroit, I think we're going to see it. And then the one that you've got to keep an eye on, and this is scary because they do it when you're not expecting it, and they've already done it once this season. The Angels are a wild card. They could do absolutely anything. Anything, especially if they find a way to move on from Upton's contract. Anything. They could do it anyway. They could, but if they do that, it's almost a foregone conclusion. Marty gets his idea that he wants somebody, then it's you don't have that owner. You don't have that owner that's also going to saddle you with that type of contract. For better or for worse, you don't have it. But that could happen at any time. 
it's I'm one I'm I'm a little bit pleased and a little bit satisfied and a little bit relaxed because we said the same things about the Angels last year and they imploded. You and I both, so I'm very thankful that that happened. But I'm right there with you. That absolutely could happen. It'd be a major problem for the AL West. So yeah, that's a that's that's a scary one. Let's talk about whether the Mariners do make that sort of Brian Reynolds style signature trade move on from your huge pieces prevailing wisdom and what Jerry Depoto has said is they don't want to trade any of their top prospects. You and I have talked about a handful of those. Let's go ahead and list those off right now. Who are the top prospects you think, as it stands right now, Jerry Depoto does not believe he will trade these guys? Julio Rodriguez, James, Kirby, James George Kirby. George Howdy Kirby. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> those You think it's those two guys? You think it's it's narrow as that? I think it's that. Okay. Um. It, I mean, absolute push comes to shove. He does not want to trade. Um, he does not want to trade Emerson Hancock. He does not want to trade Matt Brash. No. But you could also take it further. He really doesn't want to trade Levi Stout. Doesn't really want to trade Brandon Williamson. Yeah, and it, it's fine to not want to trade your guys because it means you've developed them. They're going the way that you thought they would, and you like them, and you project their futures correctly. Uh, Noel V. Marte is the really strong yeah, one. Noel V. Marte. He, that's another one that he's basically your only infield prospect that you project to be a star-level player at some point in time. Um, so I, my list has been similar. It's been about those four or five guys. Um, can you see a situation, if the Mariners don't end up getting that sort of franchise, that cornerstone, that, um, that centerpiece from free agency, can you see them biting the bullet and trading one of those guys or having them involved in a package that they bring back a, a, a centerpiece guy in that, that, that way. I think they're uh, oh centerpiece. I don't know that you see centerpiece at that point. I think then you try and war it all together in that you're picking up four or five players. And I don't know that you can overcome what you're not getting in a centerpiece type player at that point. You basically have to hope that you do in free agency what the Braves did at the trade deadline. And you strike gold on four guys, <laughs> and it works that way. That's a that's a tough sell. It's a tough way to move into a into the start of a season needing everything to work right in order to make the playoffs. And then I wonder. I mean, I wonder what impact if what impact pitching could have on this. I mean, you you desperately need offense, and it sounds insane that maybe you go even a little bit harder after pitching, which is harder to get, but maybe you do. And at that point, you are hoping that Kyle Lewis is something when he comes back. You are hoping that you know Ty France continues to be Ty France. You are hoping that Jared Kelnick takes that step towards being Jared Kelnick. And at that point, I think you see Julio Rodriguez sooner, much sooner than later. So, I mean, that I, I'm wondering what that could play into it. But I'm also something I think that we're overlooking. So I, I can't see... Julio moved. Ever. No, I can't see Jared Keldick moved. What, in terms of maybe a more palatable trade situation, instead of these mega pieces being moved, who do you think the Mariners could actually legitimately be moving this this off season? Okay. I think okay. So you've got the top two that I am not absolutely not seeing moved. Uh, I think that um, there are guys that. I think a Brandon Williamson. When you look at everybody that is ready to come up, you can't bring them all up at once. If you're forced into a situation where you have to trade someone, 
And it's going to be tough because if, and I think this is why it's going to be next to impossible to make a trade for a Brian Reynolds, um, for a Cattell Marte, for, you know, hopefully not a Luis Castillo, but there are teams that are going to say it's Julio Rodriguez or nobody and walk away. That's going to happen. That, that kind of thing does happen. Sometimes your prospects are a little too attractive and they're just not going to settle for that second tier, even though Brandon Williamson in most farm systems top 10 would be much higher than he is on the Mariners. But it's just that is is kind of the nature of negotiations sometimes. Um, But I think that a Williamson, I, I wonder about an Emerson Hancock because you have a George Kirby, because you have a Matt Brash. And if you believe he is what you believe he is, uh, Emerson Hancock could have tremendous value. And he's coming off a season where, you know, he fatigued. He needed he needed some time down. I think that um, to get somebody of impact, I, I think you might need one of those names. Noel V. Marte is somebody they don't want to move. And we've talked about this before. If you lock up J.P. Crawford, and unfortunately I don't think you see anything like that until after the collective bargaining agreement is settled. But that gives you a little bit more license if you have to do something like that, and you would rather not. But what I am wondering at this point, and I think the A's would be the perfect team for this, because the A's, a lot of the trades they make, Sometimes it's not for your top one, two, three, four, ten prospects. Sometimes they like bulk moves. It's kind of their strategy. It's the only way they can really ever compete is to have enough wild card pieces that you just, you got ten wild cards, you hit on two of them, you made it. And they've got a number of players. Are they the centerpiece player? No. Are they impact players? Yes. Impact players that will be right up there with the impact players you have might be better. Sean Manaya is way up on my list. I've absolutely been very interested in him for a while. Sean Manaya, uh, Frankie Montas, I think, is highly, highly underrated in that regard. I think he's got two years left. He's on got his two deal. years, and there's a value to that as well. Yeah, that's an industry value. The industry knows two-year starting pitchers that are consistent and have upside. There's everybody knows that value. I'm, and you're I'm also, curious. You're not paying for well. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. You can put a qualifying offer on him and get a draft pick. You're not paying for that with Frankie Montas. You will be paying for that with Manaya. I love Chris Bassett. I love love. I think Chris Bassett would be fantastic, but mm. that is going to be attached to him as well. Matt Olson. I don't see that happening. Uh, we've talked about Matt Chapman. It's a tough deal. Chapman's market's going to be hot, and I think that's going to be a tough deal, a tough deal to make. Does it worry you that his two worst parks to play in are T-Mobile Park and Minute Maid? <laughs> it's somewhat, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I watched Adrian Beltre, so yeah, somewhat. I don't know, and I and sample size is probably far too small to establish. No, he cannot hit at T-Mobile, but his two worst parks by far are the two American League West rivals mm. and the one that he would be playing in. I don't know. Probably doesn't worry me. Probably shouldn't worry me. But it's something to think about right there. But I think Oakland, great trade partner there. And then, then, this is one that I really wonder about and something that we've really kind of overlooked. One of the hottest commodities on the trade market a year ago, and we're not hearing much about it right now, is the Major League Ready player or the major league ready or the major leaguer with lots of control left. And the Mariners have got two. 
that I, I think are immensely tradable and perhaps in a package deal have significant value. And the first is, we don't know where they're playing Luis Torrens. We liked what he did as a DH last year. If there's a universal DH next year and we find that out after the CBA, that could help quite a bit. That catching market is terrible. It is. It's really thin. There are guys getting contracts that probably shouldn't be on Major League rosters, but there's just nobody left. I mean, the fact that Manny Pena got a two-year, $8 million deal, that's traditionally, until recently, that's like a a, a back-of-the-roster guy. That's real money for a guy who is like sometimes home runs and an average catcher. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think there could be the right value guy. there, and quite honestly, I was surprised that he wasn't traded last offseason. I mm. thought that there would be value there. Uh, he hurt himself defensively, but that was the first year that he really stumbled defensively. So who knows? With this yeah. market the way it is and with what he's now doing with the bat, perhaps that is attractive. The other, you know, when they traded for Abraham Toro, the assumption at the time was they're flipping him right away. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take Jerry DePoto at his word on this, but he said he got numerous calls, and I've actually heard this from others too, right after they made that deal about Abraham Toro. Is he attractive in that regard? You know, you need that team that needs to cut costs but needs to be competitive right now, and both of those players could be attractive there. You probably also, if you're in this situation, going to have to get into trading one of your relievers. I totally agree with you on that. It's a huge strength of not only the team but the organization. And bullpens can be fickle, and there's no guarantee that next year's bullpen operates close to or the same as last year's bullpen. So I am right there with you. I think they're going to leverage some of their young bullpen arms to potentially bring back something that could be equally valuable in the other in another aspect of the team. Yes. And these are players... You know, Oakland, obviously, they're cutting. Why would they take on, a you know, somebody who's already a major leaguer and is coming up on arbitration? Well, they can trade them then. They can flip those players as well. So that's one. Miami Marlins need catching. They've got some extra pitching right now. Put something together there. I just don't know how much the industry will respect Luis Torrens as a catcher, and they'll look at him more as a slightly above-average hitter who can play a position and how much value there will be. But being involved in a package. Right. Yeah. Right. And then you're, you're throwing in some prospects there too. Right. So make no mistake about that. But not top 10 type prospects, I think, at that point, and certainly not multiple. But uh, I think that is something that's worth it. We haven't really talked much about what else can you trade if you have to make these trades. I think it's a great point. And the other thing we haven't talked about is the traditional Jerry DePoto trade. It's not been on anybody's Getting radar. an ex-Mariner? Somebody who's already <laughs> traded away? Trading a major league guy. Come on and down, mi- Pablo Lopez. <laughs> yeah, flipping a major league guy and a minor league guy for a major league guy and a minor league guy. Diversifying your assets. Mm-hmm. Can something be done like that with your bullpen? It, can something be centered around a Taylor Trammell type and a Drew Steckenrider type and bring back a starting pitcher or a position player that you think is above average, a solid contributor that's not going to cost you too much money on the books and really be somebody who's here for three or four more years, I think that's a a, a real strong possibility. I think it's a creative way that the Mariners can trade from depth and get something back that fills a huge hole. And you're doing something like that. However, you're not getting that big impact. You're getting something to hold a spot down. You're getting something to be probably closer to replacement than what we're talking about if you're doing a bigger deal. 
or something. Yeah, a one to two war player. You're not talking about right. a four to six war player in that. Right. But a one to two war player that plays 140 games is valuable for this team. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, the big one, which Depoto acknowledged that he is open to, but also said it's a lot harder to do than people want to think, is taking on that extra contract. I'm very interested in that as a way to potentially get a star player without having to give up a major, major prospect. I mean, yes, it is complicated. The Mariners did it on the flip side when they gave Cano away. How do you do you see that being a realistic possibility for them this offseason? Well, he himself, and he said, you know, and he was right when he said it. It's, it's so easy to sit down and just map these things out, but neither team really wants to make that deal. Right. Yeah, there's you're taking on something and giving something that you don't want to do. Both sides. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that, but then you also will have clubs that, and again, this is where your collective bargaining agreement, which you're not going to see this deal until afterwards, because if there is a payroll floor, those deals are going to be a lot tougher to come by. Absolutely, because there's going to be teams who need to bring those players on just to hit the floor. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. So the landscape right now certainly not playing in their favor. We don't know what's going to happen there, which kind of, I think, uh, you know, is, is a good reason why they are focused on what they are focused right now, and that's the big fish. As this offseason has progressed, have your expectations changed for what you think the Mariners are going to do this offseason? No. I mean, I know what they want to do. I don't think that has changed. And I don't think I realistically have thought that any of this would be easy. And I did think that there I was I was on to Detroit's going to spend. That did not surprise me. The Rangers are going to spend. That did not surprise me. The Angels can spend. That didn't surprise me. So I think I've been looking at this along the way. Giants spending, that was a little bit of a surprise. Realizing that the Astros are going to have have money to spend if they don't bring back Correa, which they won't. So to me, I, I think this has been an uphill battle. With the interesting thing, again, being that DePoto has been pretty out there with we're going to be aggressive. And again, I think that that is uh, as much, I think that is less for us, to be honest than it is for the rest of the market. Come to the Mariners, we're building. We're not afraid to spend. Will you be as concerned? (laughs) There's no way you will be. Let me rephrase this. (laughs) Will you be more concerned than you are right now if Major League Baseball goes on a lockout on December 1st and the Mariners haven't made any roster moves of any kind? Ooh, I'd feel a lot better if they did. Sure. I think... I'm not, I don't have a great sense of where it is right now because it was, I think, a shock. Wow. Verlander and Syndergaard, boom, gone. Eduardo Rodriguez, gone. We're seeing some players sign, resign with teams right now. That to me, I mean, how is that just kind of a, we're getting those out of the way and then that's it? Or is that an indicator that we're going to see more? Over the next few days. Well, it's not few. It's nine days. There is time. If you have got general managers making home visits with players right now, let's say DePoto goes to Marcus Simeon's house, sits down, has a day with him this week. Is Simeon going to want to come back here? He's going to have to regardless for a physical. Can you get a deal like that done in nine days? And we're just talking about one team. Let's say he's got 10 teams that want to do that right now. If we don't see it, then you know that it's not just a West Coast thing. 
if we don't see it, you know, they're digging in. So if you if you see Marcus Semyon and one of the big shortstops and Marcus Stroman signed by December 1st, but the Mariners haven't made a move yet, will that change some of your thinking? It will for me. I, I it, Not so much that I think that they're getting caught by surprise or that they're going to get left without somebody, but it certainly will make me anxious that the competition in the, on the backside of free agency is going to be so fierce that the Mariners are going to have to compromise on some of their philosophy, Look, and I'm not sure if they want to. Well, no, they don't want to, but I'm sure they will. Do you really think he's going in with just a plan A? We can oh, definitely no. get one of these guys. And that's a great conversation, too. I don't even know what their plan A is, but, yeah, that's a great point. And not that I think that lessons had to be learned on this anywhere, but go no further than Shohei Otani. There was a lot of confidence that they were going to get him where they had an excellent chance. Let's say there was a lot of confidence that they had an excellent chance of landing him. I think when it was all said and done, they had no chance of landing him. He had settled on Southern California. That's what I had heard as well. They didn't know that. Nobody knew that. Or at least the teams that were vying for it sure as heck didn't know it. Otherwise, they would not have put as much into that. I think that just shows you how out of the hands of the team it is. You can only do so much. And I don't think, you know, it's, I know everybody would wants to well, look at the TV contract, look at what they didn't spend and everything else. You can't just go throw $300 million at everybody. You can't. Not for where this team is at, for sure. I, I think if you're the Yankees or the Blue Jays or a team that's, they're finished, but they could use a piece or two, yeah, you can go do that. You can say, you know what, forget our principles. This is what we need to do right now. The Mariners thought they were there with Robinson Cano. That's what they thought they had. They thought they had a finished product that they needed that one more piece on. And, well, they weren't. And they couldn't add because Robinson Cano. Yep, they misjudged their situation or they got the wrong guy or something, but it, it didn't work because the, the the conditions didn't play out that way. The Mariners are not there. They're not in the position where if we get this one guy, it's, it's go time. It's over. We're, we have it. It's done. They've got holes to fill. They've got a lot of places to address, and they don't have to get stars at every one of them, but they don't have a finished 25-man roster. It's not like they have 24 guys and they just need one more, 25, and they just need the one to get to 26. They need five or six in some different capacities. So, yeah, I'm with you. They, they don't have to go do that one big thing right now. And if they don't get it done, there's a plan B, there's a plan C, there's a plan D. Do you think that the Mariners are... are really honing their focus on West Coast guys. That's been a big conversation, more than I can remember this year, of free agents that, that are being linked to their geographic centers or the places they want to play in spring training. More than I can remember, this year has been a bigger conversation across the league. No, there's no analytic for that. And let's let's not forget here, this is, they're not going after these free agents because they're the best on the market. They're going after these free agents because they like these free agents. This is not Jerry DePoto's number one desired means of roster building, of player acquisition. Trade has always been it because he can pick exactly what he wants. He can go after. You know, with it's a little bit more, I don't want to say a crapshoot, but you're taking a little of this and a little of that, and, well, we might not really like that, but we really like this on the free agent. He's not going after, ever, ever going after a free agent just because it's easier to shop than it is to try and trade. 
So in that respect, I don't see it like that. There are some guys with West Coast ties to them, and it does seem like they have been linked more to the Mariners. Michael Conforto, Chris Bryant, Marcus Semyon, all three West Coast guys in Conforto's case went to Redmond High School. There's there's some stuff to be had there. What do you make of that? I think that you should give them a closer look if that makes them more attainable. I, I think that there is certainly valuable. There's value to that. But I, they're not just, we're just going to focus on West Coast guys. I, I think it, it's a small, tiny piece. I, I don't really know that it's a piece of the the equation other than it'd be really silly if we didn't kind of focus our efforts because we do like this guy. We, he does like Michael Conforto. He's a C the Z type kind of guy. He does like Chris Bryant. He plays everywhere. I mean, it doesn't hurt that these players are players that he is a, attracted to anyway just so happens that they're free agents and that they are from the West Coast. Sure. No, that's a great point. Great point. I'm trying to think somebody from Washington he doesn't like. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't A.J. Pollock from Washington originally? That's yeah, my secret I, I name to watch there for. There you go, yes. Yeah, that's so my secret name to watch for. I heard A.J. Pollock before. I've heard A.J. Pollock from you. Yeah, probably. Probably from me. I, I think that's an interesting fit. I think the, the how they address the outfield, and, and one of the things I want to talk to you before we wrap up here is Say Suzuki, who is going to get posted now. Um, he'll have a month from when he gets posted, and as we're talking now, it sounds like he'll be posted on December on uh, November twenty third. Yes. So um, projections and contract range between ten and twelve million dollars a year on a five year ish deal. Um, that seems pretty attainable for everybody. He's what twenty seven years old. Uh, he posted relatively similar numbers to Shohei Otani offensively when he came over. Not thought of in any world to have the same physical traits as Shohei Otani, but certainly an expectation of above-average offense and passable defense at least in the outfield and the corners. Uh, what are you hearing? What do you think is going on with the Mariners and Seiyu Suzuki? I think he's in a little bit of a different category for them. I, we've talked about outfield and potential outfield needs that they have. And I think that this is kind of a case where they could see a lot of value at that price point, at the years that you would have him. And he fits in. We haven't heard Jerry talk about this very much, but he fits in perfectly with what they're doing and what they have right now as far as kind of age and length of contract and whatnot. Of course, he'd be ahead of a lot of the younger players right now, but not by much. Um, I think that uh, this is a situation where he is a unique fit and he would be at a unique price point, and they do like him, and that if they go hard after him in that regard, if they fail on him, that doesn't mean that they turn around and throw those resources at another outfielder. I I think that he is somebody that they, and again, this is plan A, things could change, like all of a sudden you don't get what you need. Maybe you do need to go harder after a Michael Conforto, even though that isn't your immediate number one or two need. But uh, I think that... Um, if they could get him, that is somebody that they'll make a run at to a point. But I also, what I'm hearing is that the competition for him might take them out of how comfortable they would be in going for that considering their other needs. It is interesting because when you have so many corner outfielders on your major league roster and high in your system, you really have to, in some ways, make sure that if you're going to add another one, that he's really good, (laughs) really good, 
Like when you've got Julio, I know we've talked a lot about him in center, but his true projection has been in the corners. You've got Mitch Haniger, Taylor Trammell in the minors. I don't know if he'll still be within the organization or if he'll be a part of a trade. Um, you've got some of the guys that they've recently drafted. You've got Jared Kelnick. There's a handful of guys that are projected as their best position is corner outfield. And they're not supposed to be rotational guys. They're 162 guys. If you're going to add another corner infield outfield type, and that's why it's been hard for Michael Conforto type to me. I love Michael Conforto. I think he fits everything that they want to do, except for the fact that he's not an exceptional defender and he plays a corner outfield. And you don't really have, you know, outside of Marte, you don't really have that guy on the free agent market right now. No. You don't. So at that point, you know, I'm not 100% giving up on Jared Kelnick in center. And this is more my belief in Jared Kelnick than it is what I saw with my eyes with Jared Kelnick in center this year. I think that's the only way you can have faith is to believe in his process and who he is, right? Yeah. And I believe in that. So I, I'm not willing to... Oh, it's all over if the Mariners don't get somebody that can play, you know, a plus defense center field at some point. Uh, I don't know what we're going to see. I mean, how much of an option Julio Rodriguez will be? I am incredibly intrigued by that. Did you see on Twitter the other day he tweeted out his jersey? No, I didn't see that. And he's got a 44 on the back of it. (laughs) And somebody tweeted him, I hope that's okay with Mike Cameron. And Mike Cameron tweeted out he's passing the torch. He gives him the blessing for... Number 44. Nice. Love that. Absolutely love that. Um, so, uh, I, you know, you talk about all the depth they have, and every time I look up, there's an infielder in the outfield. And they have that DH spot, so I don't have a problem with adding at that spot. Even if Kyle Lewis comes back and, oh, hey, this is Kyle Lewis that we saw in 2020. Because you don't know. I mean, Mitch Haniger, I don't, you know, we're not going to see an extension. Not one year out from free agency. You don't think so? Probably not. You think that ship has sailed? He's one year out from free agency. I'm really curious to see if there's something to happen around the Mariners making moves and saying, look what we did. We did what you asked. You love it. You want this. I don't think we're going to see it this offseason. You could see it in season. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I don't think we're going to see it this offseason. Hmm. Well, I'm crossing my fingers. Although, I listened to that same podcast that you listened to, and he talked about, you know, and doing this for the next couple of years as far as competing in the next few years. You know, he was talking about we passed this year. So I think he just wants to prove the he wants the Mariners to prove the Kyle Seeger narrative wrong, that the quote-unquote Kyle Seeger narrative wrong, that their Mariners aren't interested in winning and they're not interested in adding. And if they show him that, then that'll be enough. That's personally what my belief is. If they add, if they spend money this offseason and up, add major that's players, then that's what he needs. I don't know. I go back and forth with it. But it just it seems very tempting if you're one year away. I don't know. We'll see. But, again, you know, he has been team, 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 and I did find that kind of interesting the way that he talked about that. But, uh, regardless, he's not going to be out there every day. He will be in the DH spot some. Although, if he is going to be signing an extension, he's probably going to work that in that he wants to be out there every day. So we'll see what happens there. <laughs> put it in the contract. I, I think that you know, I think there's absolutely room for a fourth outfielder. That, and I don't mean a fourth outfielder. I mean another one that they're going to rotate between the outfield and DH. And I don't, you know, obviously, I, I don't think it can be center. I think that's a trade. I think that's the only way you're bringing in a center fielder. And so I, I think you've really got to hope that you know, between your two young pups, that one of them can hold down that position a little bit. If you do that, 
but if if you're getting the offensive production and again if you well yeah if what you're flanking them with again Hanniger's defensive metrics took a real dive this year yeah. so you know he you're not getting much help on that side I don't know but it I don't think that that is a stumbling point if there isn't a big buying frenzy for Suzuki and there very well could be because well, I don't know. I mean, we're talking about there are corner outfielders. You can get that, and they see him as a corner outfielder. You know, he's worn number 51 for the majority of his career in the hmm. NPB. Hmm. That's an interesting factoid I did not know, Shannon. That's a very interesting factoid. Could uh, be a help. I don't know. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I'm absolutely intrigued. I'm, it, we're going to have to end this podcast like we do every single one of these so far in the offseason. It is so fascinating to see how this is going to unfold. Whether it's going to be plan A, B, C, or D, I still expect that they're going to make a volume of moves, and I think that they're going to make major moves too. So I am just so I, – I want it to happen so bad right now so I can see the plan start to unfold because right now it's in a sealed envelope and I can't open it. I just want to see what's inside. Are we going to be in here on Friday doing a podcast? Day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> Stomach's just full as they can get. Just roll us in here to do a podcast. Drumstick in one hand, podcast, yeah. We'll certainly be doing one as soon as that uh, December 1st deadline hits and we pass and figure out what the future, the present future of baseball is. We'll definitely do one around then. The present (laughs) future. The future as of now until tomorrow. Right, there you go. It's what everyone wants to hear, the present future of baseball. We have all the answers. (laughs) Thanks, James.